Hi, and welcome to Scamp Scarecast. I'm your host, Scamp. Join me whilst we explore topics such as creepypastas, real horror stories, real true crime cases, and the occasional folklore. Be sure to join my subreddit at r slash scarecast. Also, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at scarecast. Be sure to leave a review on whatever podcasting platform that you use. Right, with that out of the way, let's get creepy. In today's episode, we'll be exploring three creepy British folklore stories, alongside a few stories from Reddit. So make sure you sit back, grab some popcorn, and get ready for the scares. The first folklore that we'll be exploring is the Rendlesham Shug Monkey. In the dark, dark wood, there's a dark, dark secret. A fantastical beast that's part giant dog, part muscular bear, and part enormous ape. Is Suffolk home to the curious shug monkey? Better known in neighbouring Cambridgeshire, the shug monkey is a supernatural creature said to frequent not only that county, but also Rendlesham Forest. A magnet for the unusual, albeit more famously for alien visitors. In the sandlings, something strange is said to stalk the forest floor. In 1956, Sam Holland was taking a Brayson January walk in the Suffolk countryside with his spaniel dog Harry when he spotted something unusual in the trees around 40 feet in front of him. There, in a thicket of trees, was a beast that Holland had never seen before, a kind of bizarre British Bigfoot, a vast creature walking on four muscular legs like a lion's, covered in thick, glossy black fur, easily ten foot in length. Holland struggled to place what the beast could be. Panicking, his brain raced through the options, wondering whether he had stumbled across an escapee from the zoo or a private estate with its own menagerie. And then the creature turned towards his direction and stared directly at him. As ice-cold terror crept over Holland, he was powerless but to stare back at the creature in horror. As it watched him and his whimpering dog, he saw it had dreadful frowning face, similar to a silverback gorilla. It possessed a thick neck, intelligent looking, piercing eyes, wide and flared nostrils, and terrifyingly huge jaws. Man and beast stared at each other, one in abject terror, the other in what soon appeared to be utter nonchalance. After what seemed an eternity, the creature simply turned away and crept back into the dark forest. When pushed, Holland said, the beast had looked like a combination of an ape, a dog, a bear, a lion, and a rhino. 
He maintained his sighting had been genuine when questioned decades later, saying he believed the creature had been paranormal rather than a natural wonder. Seven years after Holland's sighting, in the very same stretch of forest, a woman called Peggy saw an almost identical sounding beast with one fairly large difference. As she stared at the beast in horror, it shimmered and then shifted its shape to become a winged gargoyle, taking flight into the darkness. John Downs, director of the British-based Centre for Fortean Zoology, has his own story about the creepy crime era. From 96, an ex-girlfriend of mine, an East Anglian paranormal researcher, was in possession of some videotape which which showed the paw print of some huge animal like that of a cat or a dog, but far bigger and with strange flattened fingernails rather than claws, he said. She thought it was a print from an alien big cat of some description, but my immediate thought was of the semi-mystical shug monkey. When I later found out my friend and colleague, Jan Scarf, who was brought up in the vicinity of the air bases, also knew about the so-called shug monkey. I even became more interested, and I've been collecting reports for some years now. The shug monkey was first mentioned in print by local writer and broadcaster James Wentworth Day in his 1954 book, Here Are Ghosts and Witches. A local police constable, Taylor, who had heard of, uh, heard of the stories of the creature in his youth, described it to Wentworth as a cross between a big rough-coated dog and a monkey with big shining eyes. Sometimes it would shuffle along on its hind legs, and other times it would whiz past on all fours. The man also stated that after dark local children were warned to avoid the shug monkey's favourite haunts close to dark, dark forests, the word shug is believed to come from either the Old English term shkuka, which means demon, or a centuries-old local term Shucky, which means hairy or shaggy, and is where East Anglia's famous black dog takes its name. Are the pair related? Is the shug monkey, as some suggest, actually a werewolf? Or is it just one of Bigfoot's stranger uncles? Once again, in Rendlesham Forest, the truth is out there. Now, on to the next folklore. This one we'll be exploring. The Legend of the Black Shuck. English folklore is made up of countless stories of monsters, beasts and fantastical creatures who roam the land, with one of the most infamous being the Black Shuck. Tales of sinister black dogs have been recorded throughout various places, yet the legend of the Black Shuck has particularly strong connection to East Anglia. It's a bringer of death. The image of the black shuck as an omen of death is perhaps the most well-known portrayal. 
One story tells of the creature being a war dog of Odin, who came to the British Isles with the Vikings and never left. The writer W.A. Dutt gave a vivid description of Shuck in his 1901 Highways and Byways in East Anglia. He takes the form of a huge black dog and prowls along dark lanes and lonesome field footpaths where although his howling makes the hearer's blood run cold, his footfalls make no sound. You may know him at once, should you see him, by his fiery eye. He has but one, and that, like of a cyclops, is in the middle of his head, but such an encounter might bring you, bring you the worst of luck. It is even said that to meet him is to be warned that your death will occur before the end of the year. So, you will do well to shut your eyes if you hear him howling. Shut them even if you are uncertain whether it is the dog fiend or the voice of the wind you hear. Should you never set eyes on our Norfolk Snarlyow, you may perhaps doubt his existence. And like other learned folks, tell us that his story is nothing but an old Scandinavian myth of the Black Hound of Odin, brought to us by the Vikings who long settled down on the Norfolk coast. A notable sighting of the beast was said to have happened at the churches of Bungie and Blythburg in Suffolk in 1577. On a stormy night, Shuck broke through the doors of a Holy Trinity church, killing a boy and a man and causing the church steeple to collapse through the roof. When the dog escaped, scorch marks on the north door were left behind that can still be seen to this very day. Other stories present Black Shuck as a benevolent, sorry, benevolent companion and melancholy protector. One such tale involves a Danish and Saxon fisherman who were accompanied by a black dog when they were fishing. They ran into trouble and the body of the Danish fisherman washed up at Beeston while the Saxon washed up at Overstrand. The body of Shuck was never recovered but his ghost wanders the coastline forever searching for his masters. Shuck has also been seen as a guardian of lost women who have found themselves stranded on roads at night. The creature has acted as a guide and helped them back to civilization. That is the story of the Black Shuck. And the final folklore we'll be exploring today is called The Beast of Bodmin Moor. There's no doubt that Bodmin Moor is a creepy place, should you happen to find yourself alone there, as dusk is falling. Try not to think about the layers of the legend, horror and mystery associated with this wild and rugged landscape. And in particular, whatever you do, try not to let your mind dwell on the beast. The beast is a result of some 60 sightings of a Black Panther-like big cat supposedly three to five feet long, 
and sporting white yellow eyes, combined with numerous reports of mutilated livestock. The evidence was robust enough that in 1995, the government ordered an official investigation into the existence of such a beast. The report finally concluded that there was no verifiable evidence of a big cat on Bodmin Moor. Although it was careful to state that there was no evidence against it either. Shortly after the report was published, the public were flabbergasted when a small boy found a leopard skull lying on the banks of the river Fowey. Big cat speculation reached Fever Bitch. Had it escaped from a nearby zoo? Was it the author of the mutilations? The Natural History Museum boringly soon found the leopard skull to have been imported into this country as part of a leopard skin rug. Once again, the controversy died down. Although sightings were still reported with reasonable regularity until 1998, video footage was released that clearly showed a black animal, probably a big cat, around three and a half feet long. The video, described by curator of Nuki Zoo and wildcat expert as the best evidence yet, that big cats do indeed roam Bodmin Moor, was part of another batch of information submitted to the government by local MP Paul Tyler. Theories abound. If it doesn't if it does exist, and many swear it does, perhaps the animal is a big cat that escaped a zoo or a private collection and was not reported because it had been imported illegally. A hypothesis rejected by scientists on the grounds that the numbers needed to, to sustain a breeding population would be too large for the food supply. Some believe the animal is a species of wild cat that is believed to have become extinct in Britain more than a hundred years ago. Some, after reading reports, not just of hissing and growlings, but of sounds like a woman screaming, are inclined to blame the paranormal. Meanwhile, the sightings continued. You have been warned. And that will do for the final folklore. Going to now switch over to reading a few stories from Reddit. Now a word from my sponsor. Do you ever get bored during the day? Do you wish you could just watch someone stream endless content? Well look no further. Head on over to twitch.tv slash scampi and chips. Satisfaction guaranteed. Our first story from Reddit comes from the user J Group. Be sure to go check his YouTube channel out at Jordan Group Horror. Group is spelt G R U P E. Thank you very much, Jordan, for letting me use your story in this podcast.
The story is called The Pumpkin Man. Have fun outside, my wife yelled to our children as they ran out the door. And be careful, I shouted after them. We were all a little on edge since the kids had been going missing around the area recently. Not in our neighbourhood, of course, mostly the poorer sections of town. The sound of the bell atop the pumpkin man's truck could be heard outside, and I breathed a sigh of relief. My wife looked visibly less concerned as well. The pumpkin man was so familiar around here. He was almost like a good neighbour you could trust to babysit. I felt safer having him around when the kids were out playing. He'd look out for him. Stay close to the pumpkin man's truck, my wife called from the front door. The kids were already at his window, where he was showing them pumpkins of various sizes and shapes, gesticulating like a stage magician. He waved at us, smiling, his odd orange-hued eyes glinting in the sun. My wife and I closed the front door and went inside to watch TV. We had an episode of Survivor on the DVR we'd been meaning to watch. Are they finally gone? Christine asked. Yes, baby, they're gone. It's props time. We clicked on television and smiled, letting our eyes unfocus as we stared at the flickering lights on the screen, telling us a story. The next morning, the kids were gone. My wife said she thought they'd spend the night at a friend's house, but they hadn't mentioned anything to me about it. She checked the calendar on her phone and her eyes widened. Wait, the sleepover isn't until tomorrow night. So where the hell are the kids, I shouted. Rising to my feet in a panic, I don't know, I don't know, my, my wife was screaming. We ran outside, hoping, maybe somehow, miraculously, they were out there playing in front yard, just as we'd seen them last. But when we got out there, all we saw were more grown-ups weeping and calling out, their eyes searching the street. Billy, Jesse, Sally, where are you? but there was no answer until the tinkling sound of the pumpkin man's truck began to sing and he came up the street towards us the head of every child in the neighbourhood was arranged on the windowsill of his truck like soda cans on display for purchase ah finally he said as his brakes to a stop finally some adults I can sell to I hate kids they never have any money, but grown-ups. That's where the action is. I tried to say something, to scream, or do anything, but I was frozen, staring at the faces of my children. My children's head were moving and rocking back and forth, making agonised howls of pain, despite having no bodies. They were still alive somehow. Okay, now... Who wants to buy the favourite pumpkin? And we'll start bidding at 10,000. This next story is called What Happened in Late July. 
Every year I visit my grandparents' house in the summer. This is about two summers ago. I was around 11 at the time, but I still remember everything that happened. I was there for about a week. I was taking a trip alone. I had flown out. But on the third day, some scary shit started happening. Whenever I went to breakfast with my granddad, there was this guy in a black hoodie that always sat behind us. He never ordered, and everyone at the restaurant got a bad vibe. Also that week, my grandmother and I got an unmarked package. We threw it away as fast as we could. On Friday night, my uncle Michael and Aunt Kate were supposed to come over for dinner. My grandmother and I were making yoghurt cookies in the kitchen and listening to music on the shared airpods. Some background. My grandparents live in a big house in the middle of the woods. However, it is very close to the main highway. The driveway is on a steep hill. Also, at least once a year, we get a huge summer rainstorm. Michigan isn't known much for that. But trust me on this. Anyway, we were making cookies for dessert during one of these rainstorms. And the power suddenly went out. Usually power outages don't faze me. But for some reason, this one was way too dark. My uncle and aunt said they still should come because the roads were flooding. And they live on low plain. They also said there was a guy in a hood on the driveway. When they got there, they banged on the door, so I let them in. Usually they tell me how I've gotten really tall or how pretty I've gotten. But they brushed me aside and went to my grandparents. Being the kid I was, I decided to eavesdrop. And they said that there was a man in a hoodie on a driveway and he had a gun. Let's get this straight. I'm not like other girls. Most girls would have ran, especially at the age. But not me. I had to see this. But I wish I had been like the other girls at that moment. It was the scariest shit I'd ever seen. There was a guy in a hood with a gun, and the hood covered his eyes, and he smiled at me. I ran back unnoticed. They wanted to call the police, but there was no power, and they couldn't turn their phones on for some reason. Some more background. In my grandmother and granddad's room, there is this walking closet. On the ceiling, there is a trap door that unfolds into a ladder. This leads to an attic inside their roof. I was the only one light enough to fit, so I went up there with my iPad and my AirPod. I don't know where they hid, but they must have done a good job, or he would have found them. I stayed up there for hours, it was freezing inside that roof, and played games and listened to music, but at a break in the storm I heard the glass windows by the front door shatter. I clicked off my iPad and hid it in an old box. I laid flat on my stomach behind a trunk and closed my eyes. I heard footsteps coming up the stairs. I stayed totally still and quiet. Someone who was not my family opened that trap door. Keep in mind we are inside the roof, so it's pitch black. I shut my eyes again. I think it poked its head around for a while, but it couldn't find me, so it went back down. 
Hours later, the power came back on and they called the police who got me down. My grandmother gave me a blanket and a hot cider while they talked in with the police. When they talked to me, I told them about the shattered glass, but they said that was impossible because there was no sign of a breaking. I told them he had come up and looked for me and that he had a gun. They told me I must have imagined it, but my family said they saw it too. But a deputy cut in and said she had seen a person in a black hoodie run away into the woods. The police posted outside the house that night just to be on the safe side anyway. Nothing like this has happened again since. But a year later, the same day in July, the power went out and we heard footsteps coming from the attic. We still don't know exactly what happened, but I'm just glad I stayed in there. I'm just praying it never comes back. This next story is from Reddit and is by the user MPC1968 and is called Roscoe. Ever since I was a young boy, I've always been different. Not psychotic, demonic or anything like that. Just not quite like the rest. I look different, I act different, I dress different and I think different. This made it easy for the beautiful people of the world to mess with me. A lot. It used to bother me growing up, but as I've gotten older, not so much. Now, I just look at the source and think, screw them, they'll be dead soon. I've never been too lucky with the ladies either, so after years of failed relationships, found myself alone, friendless living in a 20-year-old trailer that I'm renting from a friend of a friend of a friend. Doesn't really matter who. Anyway, I thought to myself, I'm tired of being alone. I could probably get another girlfriend, but she'd just get on my nerves and we'd break up. Same old song and dance. No, this time I want a companion. Someone who is happy to see me when I come home from work. Someone who likes to go for walks. Someone to ride shotgun in the car. Someone who will love me for who I am, not for what I have to offer them. I'm going to get a dog. The very next day, I got up, hopped in my car and drove to the local ASPCA to get myself a dog. I walked in, told the lady behind the desk when I was looking for. Nothing big a small dog, a lap dog, so to speak. She said, sure, right this way. She took me into the kennel area and showed me many types of little dogs, mini pinchers, chihuahuas, even a few pomerarians, etc. They were all lovely dogs, but none of them really seemed to click with me. Then out of the corner of my eye, at the very end of the cages, all by itself, sat a metal box. The box was fully enclosed with a tiny barred window in the door, resembling a prison cell. I said to the lady, what's that? She looked at me as if I wasn't supposed to ask and said, that's Roscoe. 
We're not really sure what kind of dog he is. He's been returned to us several times due to behavioural issues. He's secluded. He's scheduled to be put down later today. That's why he's in the box. I'd like to see him, I said. She said, I don't think that's a good idea. Starting to get annoyed, I said, The sign out front says all dogs ready for adoption. He's in here. He could be adopted. Now I want to see him. She said, Yes, sir. With a you're going to regret it tone. And took me over to the box. Unlocked the door, opened it, and then I saw him. This little guy looked rough. His brown fur was matted to his body, crusty pieces of I don't know what in the corners of his eyes, like he'd been crying. His nails were a bit long and sharp. His eyes were jet black with the slightest hint of red in them. To be quite honest, he looked like he has just crawled out of the sewer and smelled like it too. He had an odour that reminded me of the summers I spent helping my uncle at his funeral home. He smelled like death. But he was friendly. He ran out of the box, ran up to me, let me pick him up and licked my face for what had been at least ten minutes. He was wagging his tail and just going crazy with excitement and so was I. I told the lady, this little guy ain't dying today. Roscoe has a new home. A look of worry fell over her face. After filling out some paperwork and getting his dog licence, I took Roscoe home. First on the agenda was a bath. He was rather calm at the bath, seemed to enjoy it. After that, I dried him off, brushed him out. I had to use one of my old brushes since I don't have any dog brush. We went to the local pet store next. I won't mention the name of the place due to legal matters. I'll just say the people there are smart about pets. We've got all the necessities needed to take care of my new friend. Drive home started out normal, just driving down the road. I've always had had been a curious, uh, cautious driver. Always doing the speed limit or below. Apparently the guy in the car behind me didn't like it and sped up to pass me. Everyone usually does. He pulled alongside me and yelled, Get out the way, moron. Learn how to drive. Roscoe went crazy, barking and jumping on the dash as the guy passed growling, showing his teeth, drooling and clawing out the dash. The red tint in his eyes was becoming more apparent now. He began banging his head against the windshield in a crazed attempt to get the guy, hitting it so hard it split his forehead open, blood running down his face on the windshield and dash. Oh my God, what the hell is happening? Roscoe, calm down, stop. Roscoe, stop. I finally had to pull to the side of the road. Roscoe was still frantic. I threw an old shirt over him so he couldn't see. Grabbed him, telling him it's okay, over and over again. His body went limp. I thought he was dead. I pulled the shirt from over him. 
and the second I did, his eyes opened, and he was wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to play, like nothing ever happened. What the hell? I took the shirt and held it over his forehead to stop the bleeding. I washed him up fully when we got home, cleaning the dash and windshield. We spent the rest of the day playing in the yard and hanging around the house so he could get used to his new home. The trailer park we live in isn't the best of places to live. The lot rent is cheap, but that's the only good thing about it. It's a dirt road in a U-shape, with trailers running parallel with the road on both sides. This is apparently where the term trailer trash comes from. It's not that the people are bad or anything, it's just cleanliness isn't their way of life. Old refrigerators, car parts, various other piles of junk clutter their yards. The trailer at the end in front of the park has been raided a couple of times by the local police and there was always cars pulling in and out of, of there. I think they're selling drugs, but that's, you know, none of my business. In the middle of the park is what the park manager calls a playground. It consists of an old beat-up swing set, rickety metal slide and a sandbox that most of the cats around here use as a litter box. Most of the older folks here just sit out there and talk all day. No kids ever play there. I mean, who can blame them? It's a lawsuit waiting to happen. The night I realised Roscoe was the perfect friend for me came about two months later. That night, while taking him for a walk around the park before going to bed, we passed an old playground. Something told me not to cut through there, just complete the circle around the park and go home. But it was close to my house and I was really, really tired. At the playground, there was two guys I'd never seen before in black hoodies just hanging out on one of the swings. The other on the slide. As I passed him, I heard the guy on the swing say, nice dog, can I pet him? I said, yeah, sure. As one guy bent down to pet Roscoe, I heard the cocking of a gun and felt the barrel press hard against the back of my neck. Give me your freaking money or you're dead. The guy from the slide, who now had a gun, said... The other guy leaped up and grabbed, grabbed me and slammed me against the slide, dropping the leash in the process. What happened next sent shivers down my spine and filled me with excitement at the same time. Roscoe went insane. His eyes turned bright red, skipping the growling and clawing part and went straight for the guy's neck. He leaped up from a sitting position and grabbed the guy's throat, digging his claws into the side of his neck and ripping out his voice box with his teeth blood spewing everywhere as the guy fell to the ground Roscoe still attached the guy with the gun ran like a little bitch the guy on the ground was grasping for air blood pouring out of his mouth and the hole in his throat as he choked on it he tried to hit Roscoe to get him off but my boy was relentless, biting and clawing at the guy's face, ripping and tearing his eyes out, part of his cheek and his entire nose, down to the socket. 
Maybe I'm wrong for this, but I don't care. After years of being messed with by arseholes like this, it was great to finally get revenge. I started chanting Roscoe, Get him, boy. Get him. Kill that piece of crap. And that's just what he did. As a guy took his last breath, Roscoe stepped back and fell over, his body limp and lifeless. Blood covering his snout, with pieces of flesh, eyeballs hanging from his mouth. Two seconds later, he sprung back to life, happy and energetic, chewing on the eyeball pieces like a play toy. Good boy, Roscoe, I said as I picked him up, staring at the mutilated corpse that lay at my feet and smiled. Screw him. Let the cats eat the rest, I said. Carried Roscoe home, washed off, and fed him the biggest steak I had. Raw, of course, just how he likes it. I had the best night's sleep that I've ever had that night. Roscoe right by my side. Homicide detectives and police flooded the park the day after, going door to door looking for the witnesses as to what happened. Mrs Jacobson, from three trailers down, found the body. She had to be given oxygen and a ride in the ambulance to get checked out. It traumatised her so bad. I'm sorry, Mrs. Jacobson, I really am. When the cops came to my door, I, of course, saw nothing, and Roscoe was on his best behaviour, laying on the living room floor pretending to be asleep. I watched the coroner carry the body away. The cops finished up and went away. I asked my neighbour what happened, and she said some guy was mutilated to death last night. The cops think it was some kind of wild animal that escaped from the circus that came through about a year ago and attacked the guy. There have been numerous bodies found in the area, with wounds such as the ones they found today. The writer in it offers that. Roscoe and I couldn't be happier together. He has a loving home and I get to seek revenge. So if any of you assholes from my past are reading this, I haven't forgotten. I will find you. I will get you. Well, Roscoe will. He's not a bad dog. He's just very protective. Good boy, Roscoe. This next story is called The Cemetery by Haley's Chills. Okay, so let me get this straight. I'm an 18 year old girl who lives in New Zealand, but when this took place, I was around 12 years old. In 2016, a couple of days before Christmas, the worst thing happened to us. We found out my aunt died, which was my dad's sister and they were very close. She was a jockey and she had fell off the horse and it crushed her. Oh, and the favorite thing was the smell of lilies. This will be useful for later on. Anyway, after about two years of her death, we visited her again for Christmas and we have been here to see her many times, but this time it felt different in a way. The air was heavy and I got this wave of dread 
it was so overwhelming that I had to stay in the car for a little while. Once I thought that the bad feeling had calmed down, I decided to hop out and look around the cemetery. And as I was doing so, I smelt the familiar smell, the smell of lilies. And at first it was comforting in a way, but then I felt like I was being watched. But like I could tell that whatever this was watching me didn't want me here. Like I needed to leave, so I listened to my gut feeling and booked it back to the rest of my family. Not shortly after, once all of us were in the car driving back, we saw that there was something in the middle of the road. So we stopped, but the longer we stared at it, the more we realised it was my aunt, and she looked worried. And about two seconds later, a car comes flying by at full speed, and then she just disappeared. I tell you now, it scared me, and I couldn't sleep that night. But the longer I thought about it, the more I realised that she saved us that day, and that she really is looking over us. Thanks for reading. I just wanted to get this off my chest, and I know you might not believe me, because I wouldn't if I heard it, but it is 100%, 10% true. And it's still vividly stuck in my head to this very day. And this final story comes from Reddit user JTJack42. And it's called The Carney. To add some context to the story, I am female. And at this time this takes place... I was 14. Anyway, this happened in September. My friend, who I'm going to call Alice for the story, got some all-access passes to her fair, and she invited me to go with her and her grandmother. That Saturday, she picked me up and we went to the fair. We had been there since 6pm that evening, and it was about 10, so it was really dark. We had been going on rides all the time and I'd gotten nauseous so we decided to go on just one more ride and then head home. While walking to the ride, this carny running one of the stands stared at me. He looked like he was in his late 40s. He had dark blonde hair that was greasy, missing and darkened teeth and some tattoos on his left arm. He then put both his index fingers into his cheeks crossed his eyes and then twisted his hands, making a weird face. Then, after no reaction from me, he made a disappointed and offended face. Then he said, smile. I just stared as we were walking his way to get to the ride. Smile, he said louder. Then he screams, fucking smile. I jumped back. It seemed with the many people around, no one heard him say that last part except me. Even Alice, who then said, she's sick. I then grabbed her and brushed past him. I told her what he said and she was shocked. On her way back from the ride, we had to pass by his stand again. While walking by, he kept 
trailing behind us trying to get our attention. Then after we ignored him, I heard him scoff, fine then. I know this story doesn't seem that scary, but at, it was at the time. And I can't help but wonder why he wanted me to smile and what could have happened if we didn't ignore him. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. It's been a really fun one to put together. It's the first time I've ever had to do like a bit of research for um, like the folklore stuff. So I hope, I really hope you enjoy that. And um, I hope you have a really, really spooky Halloween. And again, stay creepy. And with that, today's episode has come to an end. Please feel free to rate the show on whatever podcasting platform you use. If you'd like to stay up to date with anything related to the podcast, then be sure to follow me on Twitter at SScarecast. Also, if you'd like to submit your own stories or to read others, then please join my subreddit at r slash scampscarecast. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember, you are not alone.